Hello and happy 4th of July weekend. I hope that you have had a great holiday and uh, maybe the holiday hasn't felt that different than most of the rest of the week because a lot of us are just spending time at home, but I hope that it's been a, a great weekend and I am grateful that you are with us today. Welcome to our Hills family and to anybody, especially someone who might be watching for the very first time. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to finish out our series called Champion. We've said each week that a champion is someone who can compete with opponents for a title and a champion is someone who can fight on behalf of others. And inside of Luke chapter 4 in this three-round fight, we have been seeing that Jesus is both kinds of champion, that he is the champion with no rivals and he is our champion who fights our battles. That's what we've been seeing in this text. And, and with week one, we saw that Jesus was able to overcome temptation in the desert against the devil. And in week two, we saw that Jesus was able to push past rejection in his hometown. And here in week three, we're going to pick up in verse 31 for the third round of this fight. Here we go. And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Just note that phrase. And he cried out with a loud voice. Just real quick, when you look at that, have you ever heard of a clean demon? Like, like this is excessive language because Luke is trying, the gospel writers trying to emphasize for us this evil spirit coming up against Jesus, interrupting his sermon. So this, so the man possessed with this demon cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst he came out of him having done him no harm and they were all amazed and said to one another what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So here we see that the congregation notices and remarks twice on Jesus's authority. So if you're taking notes as we're beginning to see what is Jesus showing us in the third round of this fight, we see a champion who has authority that can't be dismissed. Not only does Jesus have this authority when he is teaching God's word, but whether he is teaching to humans or dealing with demons, Jesus has authority. He is in charge. And that brings up the question that some of us have, but really I want to help us understand this idea of authority. It's the main point of this moment in the synagogue. Luke stresses twice that the crowd notices this authority. So the point for us is to realize Jesus is a champion who is never in doubt and always in charge. But for us, with our modern Western worldview, we look at this and admittedly, you read it and like the questions that come up are usually about these 
demons. I mean, what's the deal with this unclean demon? And we wonder, okay, was this like just something ancient? Was this really like a, a modern disease that they misunderstood as a demon? Is this, uh, is this something that happens today? Are demons real? Is demon possession real? These are the questions that kind of sidetrack us. Well, we said in week one of this series that we believe as a church that the devil is real and we believe that demons are real. See, evil in the Bible is not just perpetuated by people, it's perpetuated by spiritual beings. Throughout the teaching and ministry of Jesus, the devil is real and so are demons. Now, you have, you have the right to disagree with that worldview, but I hope we can agree that that is the worldview presented in Jesus's ministry. And by the way, that's, that's a worldview shared by billions of people around the world, not only Christians, but many who follow other religions. The majority of people on earth believe in the supernatural, but that's for another time. We believe demonic forces are real, but we also affirm Jesus's absolute authority over demons. Did you notice that in the text? Like once Jesus makes a command, once Jesus speaks, the demon shuts up. Like it's over. There's no, there's no more pushing back. There's no more defiance. The demon, check this, is obedient to Jesus. That as soon as he says, be quiet and get out of him, that's exactly what the demon does. And even though it looks like it's kind of this contest, really there is no contest in this moment. And that's proven by how even though the man is thrown down on the ground, my favorite part of the passage is that the demon leaves having done him no harm. Jesus has the kind of authority that delivers us from darkness without doing us harm. He can provide deliverance without damage. And this is why he has the right and the authority of being our champion. Now he leaves the synagogue and goes from here. And next we read, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now a couple things about this moment. First, we got to realize this woman's story represents every Christian's story. That when Jesus comes into our lives, he provides a healing that then empowers us for what purpose? To serve him and to serve others. Like her story is our story. That when Jesus comes in, he, he heals us of our sins. He forgives us. He empowers us and leads us. And we do not serve after the fact out of obligation. We serve compelled by gratitude and by love. That's what we see happening right here for her. But there's something else I want us to note about this healing in this home. I think that Luke, the gospel writer, is trying to tell us something about Jesus's ministry. See, we have seen the first two official miracles in Luke's gospel. One of them is a man with a demon. The other is a woman with an illness. One of them was a, an interruption. The other was a request. One was spiritual oppression and the other was physical affliction. Now, you, if you're part of our church, you know I could do this back and forth all day. I love this kind of stuff. But here's, here's the point. What Luke is beginning to tell us about our champion Jesus is that 
no matter the setting, no matter the someone, no matter the sickness, Jesus can handle it. That no matter the, no matter the setting, because here we've got the synagogue and it's public and Jesus can, Jesus can heal. But then he's privately in a home healing this woman. No matter the someone, doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, we'll see later whether it's Jew or Gentile, no matter who it is, but also no matter the sickness, whether it's a physical affliction or spiritual oppression, Jesus is able to deliver. He has that authority. And not just that authority, but what we're about to see is that that authority comes with a level of power. Read on, and we see in verse 40, now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. See, in this moment, if you think about kind of the escalating nature of what we have seen. We've seen one-on-one healings and now all of a sudden there's this onslaught of people. Word has spread and so people are coming from all over and this huge crowd comes and once again Jesus is able to handle all of it. We not only see that Jesus has an authority that can't be dismissed, we see that Jesus has power that can't be denied. The more that word spreads, the more that that word gets out, Jesus is really able to heal people. Jesus is able to to provide and make this difference in your life. People bring everybody they know who has any kind of sickness. Luke goes to great lengths to emphasize that this is all kinds of illnesses, all kinds of afflictions, including physical and spiritual and every kind of evil spirit. And with this power... Well, we've already seen Jesus could just say it and it could happen. He could have looked at this crowd of people and he could have just said, you guys are healed, go home. That's not what he does. Jesus waits and lays hands on every single person. And once again, their story is our story. Jesus, for, the, for Christians, Jesus, we believe, died to save the entire world. And while he has power to save the world, he offers that salvation personally to you and to me. See, for Jesus, no one is just a face in the crowd. He waits and he personally cares for and heals and touches every single one of them. Look, you, you may be watching and Maybe with online church, you just feel like an IP address, but Jesus knows you and cares for you and offers personal hope to you. You, you may feel like in, in times where you've had to be at home and you're by yourself and it seems like others maybe forget to text or call or check in, God has not forgotten you. God knows your name, God cares for you. And just like he did for this crowd, God, Jesus personally is willing to minister to each person And I I think about why he would have done this. It's in part because some of these people, they would have been considered like the demon, unclean to the people around them. They would have been considered, well, like the, the prevailing belief was if you were sick, it meant that you or your family did something wrong to cause this. 
You see this in other stories in the Gospels where people blame sickness on sin and basically say, well, if if you're sick, it's because you messed it up. You did something wrong. And so there was a, a judgment and a shame that came with illness. And here, well, some of these people, they needed emotional healing and social healing just as much as they needed the physical healing. When Jesus comes, he, he knows that they need his compassion just as much as they need the cure. And Jesus is present with them to help them feel seen and known. But it's not just that his, his touch has this power. It is also his words, and we see it again right here. Already in these three scenes, in the synagogue, in the home, and out with the crowd, this word comes up that Jesus rebukes, that Jesus rebukes the demon in the synagogue. Jesus rebukes an inanimate disease of fever in Simon's house. And then Jesus again rebukes these demonic spirits. I was looking this up and, and it's, it's interesting. Later, Jesus will, same kind of word, rebuke a storm and cause it to calm. Jesus has this capacity to speak and things happen. But not only that, here's what, how one commentator put it. A rebuke is for something that ought not to be. Jesus is working against these two forms of both physical and spiritual oppression that do not belong in his presence. Because where Jesus moves in, evil moves out. Full stop. Jesus' arrival is a demon's eviction. Jesus' touch of healing sends sickness away. Now, you may be wondering, okay, I see it here in the text, but I read this, and I I don't just think about people back then. I think about people I know. I think about a a story that I've I've never told you as a church that I can remember. Um, It's about my wife. My wife, Courtney, had some uh, very difficult years in middle school and high school. Um, There are a lot of struggles and pain uh, and sickness inside her family it caused a, a lot of a lot of stress, a lot of wounds. Her parents went through a, a divorce, and um, she and her brothers were part of all the pain and fallout that comes with. So many of you, unfortunately, know that same pain. Well, during this time, she uh, she had these recurring dreams. She'd go to sleep at night, and then she would have these dreams where something or someone was chasing her, pursuing her, bringing terror to her mind and heart. These nightmares would happen every single night and many times she'd wake up in a cold sweat, completely just freaked out. The dreams persisted into the summer and then she went to her church's annual Bible camp. And that week, my wife made the decision to be baptized in a Montana mountain stream placing her full faith in Jesus Christ. And the day that she was baptized, the nightmares were gone. That's her testimony. That's her story of experiencing this kind of oppression. And, and you may call it, man, that's just mental anguish or that's, that's stress that's manifesting in a particular way. You can call it what you want. Uh, we call it being under spiritual attack. And in this moment for her, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the saving faith of Christ, that when Jesus comes in, that kind of oppression is made to leave. 
Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that every problem leaves your life as soon as you're baptized. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But it does mean Jesus has the power to heal. It does mean that Jesus makes a profound difference in our life and in our heart and in our mind. It does mean that Jesus is able to work miracles in our hearts and in our lives. It's what we see right here. You don't have to have the same testimony to celebrate that we have the same champion. That what Jesus did for the oppressed man, for, for Simon's mother-in-law, for the diseased crowds, what he did for my wife, what he's done for so many in our church and around the world and the testimonies of physical and emotional and mental and spiritual healings, Jesus, we believe, continues to do today. Because he is Jesus, as the demons say, and notice it's the demons who begin confessing who Jesus is while everyone else is wondering and questioning. And they say he's the Holy One of God. They say he's the Son of God. Now, Jesus isn't going to let them be his evangelist, and so he shuts them up, but they're still saying what's true. And that's what we believe about Jesus, that he is the Holy One of God, empowered with authority, with power, but saying all of that, proclaiming, teaching, all of that, I recognize, brings questions to mind. I don't blame you if you've been listening to this and kind of working through what you even think as I'm teaching and going, okay, where, where are you going, Taylor? To paraphrase an old theologian saying, Christians have to walk out their faith with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. So my Bible says that Jesus healed every single person in this crowd. My Bible says Jesus has authority and Jesus has power and Jesus can make this difference in our life. And my newspaper says that hospital beds are filling up, that COVID cases are spiking, that there are more and more families planning funerals, that the stats are trending in the wrong direction. So how, how are we supposed to reconcile these seemingly competing truths? Reminds me of a question I got from uh, a young boy in our church. It's been, it's been some time back and uh, wanted to ask one of the preachers a question. And so he asked, and this was a great one. He said, if Jesus conquered death, why do people still die? That's a great question. We got some young theologians in our church uh, upcoming. When we asked that, I knelt down and we started talking about sin. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul kind of begins to lay out and make this connection that when sin entered the world, death came with it. If, if wherever Jesus goes, deliverance and healing follows, wherever sin goes, death and sickness follows. That's what's kind of laid out in that chapter of Romans 5. It's uh, talked about consistently the rest of the New Testament. And so people die because people still sin, because we live in a broken, fallen world. So then there's the follow-up question. Okay, if, if people die because of sin, if people are sick because of sin, if sin is the root cause why is there still sin? Number one, because God allows that to happen. But number two, here's why he allows it. Because salvation is still on offer. 
Jesus rebukes demons and disease because they are the product of sin and they will eventually be done away with completely. Both demons and disease were struck this fatal blow in Jesus's life and death and resurrection and their time is fast running out. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we can continue to share the news of our champion with the world. That's why Jesus came to earth. Not just to fight or condemn physical or spiritual affliction, but to provide salvation from it, rescue from it. And that's actually what finishes out Luke chapter four. We read on that when it was day, after Jesus has healed this entire crowd, when it was day, he departed. He went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Can you blame them? But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus has a bigger mission in mind to announce the good news of the kingdom of God. And you might be going, okay, but what, what is that? Well, in part, as we saw last week, the good news of the kingdom of God is embodied in Jesus himself. That Jesus comes and he announces through his words and through his actions that there is hope, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is healing that is breaking into the world by the power of God in the person of Jesus. And since sin is the root cause of the death and of the disease and of the, of the despair that we see, that Jesus came to confront it head on. He would not only get rid of disease and evict demons from people's lives, not only set others free, but he would live sinless, I've talked to some people before who didn't realize, wait, you're saying that Jesus never sinned? Yeah, that's, that's what we believe. It's what we attest to. That Jesus was perfectly righteous. That he did everything in line with God's will in ways that we never could. Not only that, that, that he, like we saw at the beginning of this series, that he overcame every form of temptation from the devil. And as a sinless, innocent perfect savior, Jesus was willing to take our sins to the cross. Simon, in the passage we read, he's later known as Peter, and he becomes one of Jesus's followers. Years later, he's writing to a group of Christians, talking about what Jesus did for us, and here's, here's how Peter put it. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is Peter's way of saying on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Peter concludes with this profound statement, by his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus took our sin to the cross, bore our sins, condemned sin once and for all time, 
And since sin brought death, Jesus dealt with that too. And he rose from the grave, the champion of life. And after he came back from the dead, here's how he explained it to his followers. In Luke 24, at the end of Luke's gospel, then Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures. What that means is that basically Jesus is saying the entire Bible, every, every prophecy, every writing, every epistle, every moment it is pointing to, and throughout the entire Old Testament, it's pointing to this, Jesus says. And he says to them, thus it is written, which is another way of saying the Old Testament is pointing to this, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is the good news of the kingdom of God, that God came to earth fully God and fully man as our champion, lived a sinless life and brought this good news of a new kingdom where sickness did not belong, where sin would be done away with, where the demonic forces of evil would be defeated once and for all. And Jesus didn't just talk about it, Jesus accomplished it. Died on the cross, bearing our sins, buried in a grave, and three days later, he rose from the tomb. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, this is it. This is the most important cure. This is the most important message. This is the word of good news that needs to go to the entire world. And that's why you and I are talking about it today. Because that word continued to spread through all of the early church and for generations after and for centuries and across continents. And here we are talking about Jesus of Nazareth the sinless savior, the champion of life. To finish this series, here's here's what I want to help us understand. That our champion fought for ultimate healing in an eternal kingdom. When, When Jesus came to earth, it's incredible to look at his miracles and his healing and say, wow, he did this. And yet every single one of those healings was temporary. Those people would go on that left that day in Capernaum healthy and whole, they they would go on to potentially get sick again, certainly to die, as all of us do. But what Jesus came and fought for as our champion was not just temporary healing, it was ultimate healing. And not just for a temporary kingdom that he would announce just for his three-year ministry, but it was an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a a kingdom that cannot be defeated. So here's what that means. That means until Jesus returns, In the face of disease and depression, mental illness and and emotional anguish, demonic oppression and personal affliction, in the midst of all that, we still pray because we know God has the power to heal. We pray as an act of trust in our champion. We pray because he's the only one who could answer the way that we hope. And he's the only one who has good news in the face of answers that devastate or disappoint us. Look, we pray because while the timing isn't certain, our healing is. It is eventually coming in full. Eternal healing, ultimate healing, everlasting healing. This is what is promised to every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And at the end of the scriptures, another follower of Jesus named John has this vision of eternity, this kind of foretaste of what is to come. And in the very last chapter of our Bibles, we read about the leaves of the tree of life that are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. The promise for us, the future that is certain, though the timing and the how and the when is questionable, we believe someday healing will come for every single person eternally offered to the nations through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, through the saving and healing spirit of Jesus Christ. And in response, we will, we will serve God through worshiping him, through lifting him up as our savior. Because he'll, he'll do away with the devil, just like he did at the first part of the chapter. Everyone who rejects him will get what they say they want, which is a life absent from Jesus. And we pray against that, we work against that, but that is the reality painted in scripture, just like in Nazareth. And everyone else who turns to Christ will experience the same healing that that crowd did in Capernaum. The three-round fight is a preview of eternal life, and it can only be found through Jesus. So what I want us to do to finish out this series is to worship together, just like we saw in that last scripture. I'm so grateful for our worship team and and something that they put together, a song for us to receive, but also to engage in, in worship, as we sing, as we exalt, as we reflect on the power and authority of our champion and his eternal kingdom.
before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell, no way who can stand before the power and the presence of the Yeah.